Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And if you are a parent, you know the challenge it is to have your adult uh, children as they become young adults grow up and leave the house. And letting go of adult children can be a struggle for many parents, uh, Christian and non-Christian. And when we consider that for probably 20 years of your life, you're invested in nurturing and and, uh, caring and raising the child and to see them um, walk off into the, their, their new adventure, their new uh, life ahead, it, it can feel like a daunting task. Many parents, for many, child-rearing consumes uh, your time and energy, your love and concern for a couple of decades. It's a big investment. So you put all of your heart and mind and spirit into their physical, emotional, and social well-being, and it can be quite difficult when that part of your life comes to an end. So we're going to talk about that and the things children should know before leaving the nest with Dr. Greg Borgon. Always nice to have Greg on the show. Greg, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah. So this prompted uh, this topic was prompted by a conversation you had. Yeah. Recently, uh, a friend of mine who has been with me for some time um, and actually sponsored several of the Heart of a Warrior uh, groups that I lead came to me one day and and asked to meet with me at Dunn's Brothers and asked this question. He says, Greg, he said. Because of what I'm seeing happening in the world, and my children are still fairly young, what advice would you give me? What could I be spending my time on within to prepare them to navigate this ever-darkening world? And so I had done some previous research because of knowing this conversation was coming up because he had sent me a previous email about the meeting. And, and so this this came out of that conversation. And so... Uh, Probably can't be said any better than the article from gotquestions.org on on this subject as I uh, share a little bit about the background before we actually get to some specific recommendations for parents as they're raising their children in this current environment. So parents who find themselves uh, in the empty nest often struggle to find an appropriate balance of love and concern for their adult children while resisting the impulse to continue to control. Basically, We know that God makes or takes the role of the parent very seriously. Admonitions to good parenting abound in Scripture. For instance, parents are to raise their children, quote, training in the training and instruction of the Lord, not frustrating or exasperating them, Ephesians 6, 4. We are to train a child in the way they should go, Proverbs 22, 6, giving them good gifts, Matthew 7, 11, loving and uh, disciplining them for their sake, uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four, and providing for their needs, First Timothy five eight. So, at the heart of the difficulty of letting go of our children, and a certain amount of uh, there's a certain amount of fear associated with it. The world is a scary place, and the numerous stories of terrible things happening increase our fears. Uh, when our children are young, we can monitor their movement. We can control their environment. We can guard their safety. But as they grow and mature, they begin to move out into a world on their own. We're no longer in control of their every move. 
who they see, where they go, or what they do. So for the Christian parent, this is where faith enters the picture. Perhaps nothing on earth is more testing of our faith than the time when our children begin to sever the bonds that have held them close to us. So letting go of children doesn't mean simply turning them loose in the world to fend for themselves. It means turning them over to our Heavenly Father who loves them more than we ever could and who guides and guards them according to his perfect will. The reality is that they are his children. They belong to him, not to us. He's loaned them to us for a while and given us instruction on how to care for them. But eventually, we have to give them back to him and trust that he will love them and nurture their spirits in the same way we have nurtured them physically. So the more faith we have in him, the less fearful we are, and the more we are willing to turn our children over to him. So as with so many things in Christian life, Bill, the ability to do this depends on how well we know our God and how much time we spend in his word. Amen. So what is a parent's role as children become adults? Certainly we never let go of them in the sense of abandoning them. We're, we're still their parents and always will be, but while we no longer nurture and guard them physically, we're still concerned for their welfare. Most importantly, one of the things we need to do is pray for them. Secondly, we need to encourage them in their walk with God, offering advice when it's asked for. Uh, thirdly, big, em- big emphasis there. <laughs> yeah, when yeah, it's asked suppose, for. Yeah. Uh, we offer help if it's needed and accept their decision to receive it or reject it because we're responsible to them, but we can't take responsibility mm-hmm. for them. Finally, we respect their privacy just as we would any other adult. So when parents finally do let go of their of adult children, they often find a stronger, deeper, and more meaningful relationship than uh, ever uh, they could have imagined. So when preparing our children for adulthood, we need to consider, in my view, Bill, six areas of development appropriate to their level of maturity because we have 18 to 20 years. uh, And this may seem, audience, as a daunting task, but when you take a look at it and understand it's going to be over a period of of 18 to 20 years, it may not be so alarming to you. Mm -hmm. So let's look at first the most important area of development for their life, which is spiritual development. What does that mean? It means to lead them to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. It means also stressing the importance of the Bible and shaping their character. For instance, the importance of uh, and uh, biblical beliefs and values, uh, establishing a biblical worldview. Um, Also, teaching them how to study God's Word and apply it to their lives. Um, And also, identifying and fellowshipping with a local body of believers, how important that is to help nurture them. And finally, under spiritual development, we need to model a Christ-centered life for them. It's not a perfect life, but it's a life that heads in the same direction over an extended period of time and is modeled by our behavior. Those are all tall tall orders. Yeah, they are. Right from the get-go. Right from the get-go. We're only one out of six. (laughs) <laughs> so let's be nice to the parents out there. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's it's a matter of what hopefully this list will do will spur them on to develop themselves in preparation of, of developing their children. The second area is emotional development. What does that mean? It means con- helping them control destructive emotions such as anger. When is the appropriate times for anger? When are the inappropriate times for anger? What does anger do to you? So helping them understand that, and oftentimes when they have less defense mechanisms, they may make rash statements or, or 
or, or act out in certain ways, and that's a time not for uh, um, correcting them as much as it's a time for instruction on how to handle that. Uh, secondly, uh, developing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. What does it look like? What does love, joy, and peace look like when it's manifested in overt behavior? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. What does that look like? Um, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does that really look like? Which <laughs> the fingers are pointing back at us. Are we modeling those characteristics? Yeah, and so they're going to catch when they're young more by what they see than what they're actually told. And as they get older, because of the consistency of what they see, they'll start listening to what they're being told. That's that old saying, Greg, what you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right. And that means also admitting when you're wrong, asking their forgiveness. That's important. Uh, also under emotional development, it means regulating the tongue. That means what's proper language. Uh, it means the attitude you're conveying as you're communicating um, it's being able to handle those temperamental outbursts. When are they inappropriate and so forth? Uh, under emotional development, it's also self-management, which has to do with self-discipline. How do they develop the skill of disciplining themselves? How do they discipline or, or uh, uh, you know, exhibit self-control in their lives? How do they handle stress when stress happens? And it's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. How to deal with the idea of having a moderated life, not an exorbitant, all-things-go type of a life. So moderation is important as well, as well as understanding their personal temperament and how they see the world through that temperament and how to leverage that temperament for healthy, effective, and positive uh, means. So that's very important. And also under emotional development is interpreting the world around them through a biblical worldview, so they understand how God sees the world, how he engages the world, and what's important to him. So those are important under emotional development. Okay. The third area is relational development. So, so far we've talked about spiritual development, we've touched on emotional development, and certainly you could add to this list, especially from your circumstances. This is not exhaustive, but this is what I felt at the time were the most important areas. So under relational development, uh, we need to teach our children how to communicate with others. And especially adults. And especially adults. Yeah. Talking with adults is important. You don't want your kids sitting looking at the phone when you're trying to have conversation with adults, and you're hoping they're going to be socializing with these adults as well. One of the things I told my boys, because as you know, we're leaving for Ireland. Uh, Rob it in. <laughs> Was that Think I need this today? I, I talked about some etiquette that they needed to have, and I said one of them is that the Irish think it's very rude when you're at dinner if you're staring at your phone. Yeah. You need to put that phone down. Or when you're talking to somebody, you're not looking at the phone. Right. And so (laughs) that's what it is in that environment. Frankly, that's what it should be in this environment as well. Um, Secondly, under relational development, how to pick your friends, what to look for in a friend. I also tell my boys that you become who you hang around with. So you got to choose those friends carefully because they will impact you. No matter how guarded you might be or how protected you might feel you are, they'll rub off on you. Yep. So you need to pick your friends carefully. <clears throat> also under relational development, how to resist peer pressure, how to know how to say no. That's a big one. It is because peer pressure is so strong in our kids today. Oh, yeah. You can get cut off immediately from social circles if you don't go along or agree with or adhere to 
Exactly yeah. right. And if there isn't a loving environment from which they come, they have nowhere else to turn yeah. but to capitulate or to bend their knee to that peer pressure. Yeah. But when they come from a loving environment, one that gives them guidelines and boundaries that they understand, and they've been taught how to engage such pressure, then they're better equipped when it comes their way. It doesn't mean they'll always be successful, but it means that they'll have the foundation to become successful in that area. Mm-hmm. So how to resist peer pressure. Another thing under relational development bills, how to treat others, especially those who you disagree with. In other words, giving them ideas about proper etiquette socially. How do you engage? When do you decide to make a stand? When do you decide to hold back? Um, and so, you know, just those, those kinds of issues related to social etiquette. And, and the final area under relational development is how to deal with differences of opinion. Now, that begs the question um, that even when there are differences of opinion, how do you respectfully respond? It says in Scripture it's supposed to be with gentleness and reverence, not with increased volume and uh, monologue rhetoric yeah. that you give them. Yeah. So that's important. I like that. We're going to continue uh, this discussion, uh, Things Children Should Know Before Leaving the Nest. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest, and we're going to be right back after a very short break. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He is the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior. You can learn more about him and his ministry at heartofawarrior.org. Talking today about key important things children should know before they leave the nest and right before we went to break, Greg, we were talking about relational development. And one of the things you said, it's important to teach how to treat others, especially those you disagree with. And then you threw out the word social etiquette. And I thought, <laughs> that's a great couple of words. Exactly what do they mean today in 2022? Well, what I mean by social etiquette, Bill, are things like showing respect and kindness to others. It's also having basic dining etiquette, for instance. Uh, This is where you're losing me. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking politely to other people, which includes saying sorry and thank you when needed. Yes, amen to that. It's learning effective communication skill, knocking on a door before opening it, as simple as that. Maintaining a non-judgmental attitude to other people's decisions and choice of living and learning to accept differences when it comes to religion or cultural backgrounds even though you hold your own ground about your own beliefs. It's, and it goes to even fundamentally cleaning up after yourself and doing your part in cleaning your bathroom and uh, bedroom, not going through private stuff of others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one would be not looking at uh, their mobile phones and social settings and when others are speaking to you, mm-hmm. just something that we had yeah. commented. The other thing I would say, Bill, under uh, relational development is teaching our kids how to cope with failure. How do they deal with failure? How are they not uh, petrified by it or immobilized by it? And how do they rise out of it? So, I mean, that, that's, that's an important conversation probably going to happen multiple times as they go up. Failure is life-giving. Yes, it is. It's necessary. Well, it, there's no one successful who hasn't experienced failure. That's true. Uh, so it's learning how to cope with that failure. Well, the fourth area 
uh, of development, Bill, uh, in my mind, is intellectual development. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, teaching our children how to develop good study habits. We may have had terrible study habits. Maybe we learn, we have to learn in our adulthood what are good study habits and, and, and then convey them uh, to our children. Uh, secondly, how to tell truth from falsehood. In other words, um, you know, what's responsible Internet use? How do you determine whether an Internet page is valid for consideration or invalid? Um, uh, proper use of social media. Yeah, I'll throw in critical thinking in that one, too. Absolutely. That's a great idea, critical thinking, learning how to go ahead and forge an argument, how to think through concretely, how to deal with a particular issue that there may be in disagreement. But that's certainly an important area. Making wise decisions. How do you make wise decisions? How do you take responsibility and assume accountability? How do you solve problems? What do you go through? What are the steps to solving a problem? How do you assess, for instance, world ideologies and philosophies that differ from your own, you know, other worldviews. How do you see them compared to your own biblical worldview? And, and, it, and it could be as simple as how do you select a career? How do you go ahead and leverage how God's wired you into something that's productive in society and that will bring a living to your family and bring income to your home, as well as additions to reach out and, and help others who don't have that resource? Personal hygiene is another issue under intellectual development. You know, how do you take care of yourself physically? You may be as simple as how do you do laundry? How do you clean your living spaces? Finally, under intellectual development, how to determine your their uniqueness? How do they come to comfort about how they've been wired instead of adopting somebody else's persona for their life or somebody else's approach and seeing it doesn't work for them? How do they find out how did God wire me? What are my talents? Yeah. What are my gifts? Uh, what are my abilities, and and how can I leverage them for effective and positive uses, especially for facilitating God's redemptive purposes in a fallen world? So those are all important areas under intellectual development. I mean, choosing the right school for your child, making sure that they're not in a school of indoctrination, but they're in a school for education. Mm-hmm. That's important, picking the right school for them. Now, number five is physical development. How do they become physically fit? What are the kinds of things that they should be adhering to? Proper exercise, healthy recreation, not unhealthy recreation. Mm-hmm. How do they, as their body changes, um, um, how do they accommodate those changes in terms of the exercise they're engaged in? Those are important things under physical development. Uh, also, it could include things like how do they shop for food? Um, what are the basic skills to cooking? How do they select healthy produce? How do they prepare basic meals? What's the proper use of cooking utensils? How do they use the microwave in, in the stove? Um, also, we need to tell them during this uh, period of development, under physical development, how do they access health care? In other words, who do they call? Where do they go? How do they stay safe? How do they assess danger? How do they avoid unsafe environments? How do they get around the city? How do they drive safely? And finally, under physical development, how do they manage time? How do they establish priorities, setting goals, organizing activities, and developing schedules? So those are all important under the heading of physical development. The final area, Bill, is financial management. How do they establish a budget? How do they save money? How do they set aside some to, for tithing or giving to others in need? 
How do they discern a need versus a want? How do they manage money? In other words, we have to teach them about credit cards, about student loans, about good debt versus bad debt, about spending habits, what are good, healthy spending habits. We have to talk to them about work ethics how do they res- and the importance of respecting authority, of taking on responsibility, of taking initiative, of compliance, of being a good employee, about good work habits, about how to develop a resume, how to apply for a job. Those are all very important. Then it's also about establishing a banking account, which is writing checks if they're still in existence by the time they reach adulthood, which most people don't write checks anymore. They use debit cards. But how to use credit and debit cards how to take out a loan, how to pay their bills. And finally, under financial management is living within one's means. In other words, establishing boundaries, adhering to a budget, determining uh, needs, managing desires, discerning marketing ploys, um, identifying scams. I mean, I get those calls daily, as you probably do on the phone. Or I get oftentimes because my books are out there, we've got all of these people that um, – want to help me sell my books, which always cost you money yeah. and end up being a scam. But those are the areas that I think are important for us to focus and to fulfill our responsibilities to our children and have them take responsibility for their behavior. Mm-hmm. Very comprehensive list, Greg. I know there's uh, parents listening to this right now and you've exhausted them. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're hoping they can uh, maybe complete one simple task between now and dinner. <laughs> and they have all this now to think about, which is not a bad thing. But yeah. I think the best thing we can do is probably create a link to your material um, and give them a second chance to look at it. And that way they can uh, click on a link in the podcast and go, here are the areas that we talked about today. It started with spiritual development. Then we went to emotional development, relational, intellectual, physical, and financial. It's a pretty it's a pretty uh, well-constructed list. I loved each category, and I think you did a really nice job of uh, having good meat on every one of these bones. Oh, thanks a lot, Bill. Yeah. Uh, hopefully and, it's helpful to the audience. Yeah, and I just want to say that we, we say this with, with great care and compassion. This is a lot of information, and if you feel uh, challenged as a parent, like 100% of all parents do, <laughs> uh, this was not intended in any way to say, hey, you need to do more. Uh-huh. Um, we just want to make you... Uh, aware of these different areas and things to pay attention to along the way. But let me just tell you, you're doing a great job. Yeah. And it's a matter of there may be an area, depending on where their age of development is right now, that you want to hone in on one of those six areas that you want to focus on. Right. Because it's so important because they're either getting ready to leave the list, leave the nest pretty soon or very soon thereafter. Uh, So you might want to pick one or two of those areas to focus on. Spiritual development would always be at the top of my list. Well, great to have you in studio. Have a wonderful trip to Ireland. I sure will, I will Bill. see you when you come back. <laughs> All, right, All right. If I come back. <laughs> if you come back. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. He's got books there and uh, all kinds of information, heartofawarrior.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I have so enjoyed when I study my Bible in the last several years, having it open where I can see what the Greek word is and some of the original Hebrew words, and it is just such a wonderful way to study. And I feel like it gives me um, an opportunity to to understand God's word more richly. And so whenever I get an opportunity to learn some Greek, I always get excited. And uh, the Reverend Chris Palmer is joining us today. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. He's also the host of the popular podcast, Greek for the Week. You'll find that on several internet platforms. He's written a number of books, but today we're going to, again, talk some Greek with our favorite Greek teaching pastor, Chris Palmer. Hello, Chris. Hey, Bill. Good to be with you again, man. Thank you. It's been a little bit of a, a break since the last time you were on, so it was nice to hear your voice. So I'm always looking forward to figuring out, finding out what we're going to learn about it. Yeah, so today I think we are going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's okay, okay. Paul's Love it. first letter to the Corinthians. And um, are you familiar with the idea of personification, where you take something that is not alive and you talk about it like it's alive in order to bring that thing full force and maybe describe it? For instance, saying the sea is angry, the sun's rays gave me a hug, um, you know, something of that nature. Sure. Uh, and Okay. Okay, good, good. Most people may, but I don't know if they know it by, by that terminology. And this is, this, this happens a lot of times in scripture. Now I may have mentioned this on this. I can't remember. We've been doing this so long. I've, I've talked about this, but if we have, we have some people maybe for the first time that are hearing this, um, but the apostle Paul does this in a very interesting place in first Corinthians 15, 10, when he's talking about the grace of God. He says in the 10th verse of chapter 15, and he says, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What the Apostle Paul does here is he's, he's talking to his church who is under the influence. Let's just say they have some bad influences that are coming their way. They don't like Paul. They think that he's just a crook. They have a negative view of him and they're poisoning the Corinthian church. And so Paul's trying to explain to them why he is um, his credentials per se. And he gets, he gets this place and he, at the end of his argument, he blames the grace of God. He says, it's by grace that I'm able to do anything that I'm doing. And first thing that he says is he uses a preposition and the preposition that he uses here, he says, the grace of God is, is toward me. And this is a preposition, ace. So you'd say it would be like an E, an I, and an S. So ace. Um, and this means to, to move towards something, to come at something mm -hmm. um, directionally. So it, it shows grace sort of like I always describe it. Maybe this is rather crudely, but... Paul's alone. He needs a co-laborer. He needs a partner in crime, if you will. And Grace finds the Apostle Paul and joins up with him. So if he's Batman, this is his Robin. If he is Starsky, this is his Hutch. If he's peanut butter, this is his jelly. Now he has something that is co-laboring alongside him. Well, then Paul goes on and he says, I worked harder than any of them. So now Paul's talking about his labor 
with this grace that has that has come along and, and joined up with them. And then he says, but it's not I, but it's the grace of God that's with me. Now he shifts, he shifts prepositions here. Now he says soon. So now it's the grace of God that is with him. So that word with means to it, you, you've joined something together. It is, mm-hmm. it is with you. It is alongside of you. It's been with you. So these prepositions here really paint the picture for us that in Paul's life, he was never alone. Even though the narrative in Acts shows Paul, and there's many times where he's by himself. I mean, there he is, okay, off the road of Tarras, and he's being beaten. There he is in the sea of near Malta. He's shipwrecked. There he is in Philippi. He's in the prison. He's jailed. I mean, there's countless times where you think loneliness in and of itself could have done Paul in. What he's trying to tell you is that Grace was like a partner with him. It was like a, a co-worker working beside him. And I think that the really maybe the application you can draw here without going too far is to say that there may be times in our life where we can sense the tangible grace of God working in us to accomplish things that we in ourselves aren't able to do. I mean, I look back on my life at times and say, you know, how was I able to, to make it through that or get through that? And I think when we're we're joined up with God, his grace is abundant in our lives. And Paul's putting that into the remembrance of the Corinthians. And I think that he gives us something to reach for in this verse. Mm, I love that. I'm thinking of a pastor I had on the program, and I'm not going to remember his last name, Chris. His first name was Bill, and he talked about grace, and he said, it, you know, if you break it, grace fixes it. If you lose it, grace finds it. If you spoil it, grace restores it. When yeah. you're dirty, grace cleans you. When you're down uh-huh. low, grace picks you up. When you're hurt, grace comforts. And it just is just a reminder that grace is always there for you. And that's, I think, to your point, why Paul, although being shipwrecked and and starving and in prison and beaten, he did not feel alone. Yeah, and I think that uh, that pastor has it absolutely correct, is that, I mean, in, in one sense of the matter, there's something that we it, we have our own working, but there's a point where God's grace is, is evident and it takes over. And, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're listening to this broadcast tonight, grace is something that we can rely on. I think that prayer puts us into a state of mind where we are we become conscious of the fact that we ask God for His grace. I mean, there's things that we supplicate for and we ask God for, but even in prayer, we become reminded that it's really not us and it's not in our, our striving, but we can trust in the Lord. And it's um, it's what carried Paul in his ministry. And we language that maybe if you're more charismatic or Pentecostal, you might say that's the anointing of God, or maybe um, you know, if you're more sacramental, <clears throat> you, you may have different ways of, of explaining this, but needless to say, the scripture is telling us that there's um, the evidence of God's grace in our lives. So it's very important. Mm. Yeah. Reverend Chris Palmer is my guest. So Chris, I mean, regardless of whatever situation you are facing, it seems that God will in a way adapt his grace to meet your need and his grace is, is abundant and will never run out. Yeah. You know, when Paul says that his grace is sufficient, I mean, he's using, um, he's using a, He's using terms here that is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a accountant. 
He says God's grace is sufficient. This word here is sufficient. It's referring to Paul's counted. He's looked at the left side of the ledger. Justified. Right side of, yeah. Uh, sufficient. Yeah, he's looked at, his grace is sufficient. He's okay. looked at the left side of the ledger. He's looked at the right side of the ledger, and he sees that the problems and the issues that he has or the, the challenges or circumstances that he's facing, okay, adds up or the grace of God is enough on the right side to meet that need. It, it all equals out because, in other words, God's grace has provided to us in abundance all that we need to meet the difficulties and the challenges that we face. His grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And Chris, when we are right now discussing in 1 Corinthians 15, and we, we go down to this verse that you were referencing uh, where he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, and of course with me, as you are prompting my Greek to be a little bit better, is is it sin ego, which means, is that a synergy, was working yeah. with me? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think that's kind of where we get the word. Absolutely, I mean, it's an ergeo would be sin is with, and then an ergeo means um, enablement or the, the ability. So yeah, that's where we would get the word synergy. But he's he's talking about an, this this overwhelming power, this ability. Mm-hmm. This ability is not coming from him. This ability is is coming from God, and um, you know he knows that his church is is in need of that because of the challenges that they face, and he knows that he he's certainly seen evidence of that in his own life, so he's writing about it and, and testifying to it. Yeah. So, Chris, any more encouragement for someone who is clearly in a in a bind today, and maybe they just received news today that is uh, overwhelming them, and they're wondering, where's God's grace in all this? How am I going to navigate my way through it? You had mentioned earlier that you wondered the same thing at various times in your life. Maybe you could talk us uh, through some of that. Yeah, I think that, you know, the the rational, There's we have to divide the difference between a rational attempt at explaining perhaps our circumstances and our situations. I mean, there's not always a rational answer for us or at least one that's satisfying or one that completely makes sense to us. Being a pastor for as many years as I've been, uh, it, it always seems that there's, well, you know, we want something rational. But Paul tells us that God gives us a peace that surpasses our understanding, which to me um, tells us the part I want to focus on here is that surpasses understanding or super or goes above the understanding is that um, while it's good to be rational and it's good to try to make sense of things, the journey that we're on in God, there's not always going to, it's not always going to be afforded to us. And I say that with as much compassion as I possibly can and as as much empathy as I can for an individual listening tonight um, is that the the rational is not always there. But what the, the scripture is promising is that even if the rational explanation isn't there, if it all doesn't add up in that way, we can still expect to experience the grace of God, however that comes, whether it be peace or comfort or um, just the sensation of knowing that everything is that God is at work in our circumstances. I mean, there are countless testimonies of believers who have been through the most difficult, uh, challenging, and worst circumstances of life. What they would say is, uh, for instance, I think of uh, one of my friends from Kansas who lost her father to a sudden heart attack. And, you know, I, 
I have not lost a parent in my life. So I wouldn't know where to begin with this. And I had asked them, this person was close to their father, how, what was this like? And of course, you know, they expressed this sort of do um, ang- anxiousness or uh, a grief that would come from this. But to that grief, they said, I don't know how to explain it, but I have a knowing. I have a knowing that I'm going to see them again. I have an assurance and it's well with me. And I don't know how to rationalize that, but I know it's well with me. And I think that is available to us. It, it doesn't diminish the grief or the suffering that we're experiencing in the moment. It doesn't make the circumstance and the situation go away. But there is something I think that is otherworldly that comes from God. And we owe that in most part to to God's grace that's at work in our lives. So I'd say hope for the best and expect that uh, maybe aim higher than a rational explanation and Mm. aim for the work of the Spirit to be demonstrated in your life, whether you're given that or not. We can't fight worldly problems with worldly weapons, can we? Absolutely not. No, yeah. we we we. You know, Paul reminds us that in in Ephesians chapter six, and um, you know, so I think we we keep our mind and our hearts on on what's above. Yeah, my guest is the Reverend Chris Palmer. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. We're going to continue talking a little Greek with uh, Chris. He's the host of the very popular podcast, Greek for the Week, and you can find that on any one of the internet platforms. He's also written a number of books, and uh, if you can just Google Chris Palmer, author, you can find any of his books. He's written a bunch of them. They include books such as Living as a Spirit, Hearing the Voice of God on Purpose, The 85 Questions You Ask When You are be- when you Begin a Relationship with God, The Believer's Journey, and many more. We'll take a break. Be right back with Chris. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to the show. The Reverend Chris Palmer is joining us today. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. He's also the host of the popular podcast, Greek for the Week. Got a very accessible approach to learning some Greek, and I love learning Greek. And it doesn't always stick, Chris. Uh, sometimes I think, "What's that Greek word again?" But it's always good to go back and and uh, learn it over and over and over. I'm sure that's the way you learned it, isn't it? Yeah, it's the way I learned it. And I think that if we're the, the whole technical aspect of Greek is pretty unimportant for for those that aren't working with the mechanics of the language. I, I don't. I think maybe it's just, uh, we, we, in other words, we can learn a lot about what the original language is trying to tell us without making bones over how to pronounce or, you know, the the uh, pedantic aspects of Greek. There's a lot available to us, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of great resources that, that sort of lead us that way. And so, um, yeah, so I think the most important part is just the, just see, so you know what it means, and we can leave the technical stuff to the experts, I suppose, right? Yeah, right. Well, let's learn some more Greek. We've got another 10 minutes. What else? Yeah, so I, yeah, so I always like to start with words. Um, you know, when I do workshops, I make talk a little bit about syntax. But since 
You know, we have 10 minutes. We can talk about another word I think that is pretty interesting, and that's a common word that we all know, we all have heard about, and that's the word temptation. And uh, Luke 11, 4, Jesus tells the disciples that uh, when, when, he, when we, he's teaching the Lord's Prayer that we should pray, lead us not into temptation. Uh, we see that in different aspects where we see the Lord's Prayer. Now, the word temptation in the Greek is parasmon or parasmos. Uh, it depends on whatever the form of the word might be. But it refers to, in antiquity, uh, an extensive test that tries the nature or character of someone or something. So it's a test that's going to determine to us what this thing is made out of. And so if you look in historical documents where between 4th century BC up until the 1st century AD, it wouldn't be uncommon or incorrect to say that this would be referring to a medical experiment that through such an examination, the nature of something would actually would actually come to light. So I think it's not too much of a stretch here to say what Jesus is, is referring to here is that when you come under a temptation, you're coming under a test or an examination. That's what it's going to do. It's going to reveal what's inside of us. Now, this word is in Scripture used in a negative sense. So the reason why the Lord is, so I, I know I, I realize that a medical examination could be a positive sense, especially if what's in that thing is um, something good. But this word adds more of a nuance to it in the New Testament because the temptations that come aren't necessarily like neutral medical examinations, but rather they are malignant. These are seductions, they're persecutions. And their tribulations that characterize the age that we're living in. Um, and James is clear that these sorts of tests that are going to really try to bring out the worst of us, okay? They come from the devil. They come from the fallen social order that we live in. And yet, at times, they even come from our own fleshly desires. And so they could bring out the best in us. That's if we're given to God in a situation where we're given over to the Spirit, but they also could bring out the worst in us. And that's that's why God tells us that in the midst of these, we're to ask God for, for his help. Okay? And so, I don't know if, you, if you've ever been in the midst of a, of a temptation. Uh, you know, it's really a time to start praying. And our temptations aren't always things, right, that come along. For just 10 seconds or 10 minutes or 30 minutes. I mean, temptation can be something that is ongoing. It could be something that's prolonged. It could be something that lasts five days, five weeks, five months, even five years. But the way that Jesus teaches us about temptation is not that it wouldn't exist because this life's going to be a constant temptation to us, but to have that position of surrender to God and prayer because one thing Jesus is acknowledging by telling us to bring this temptation to the Lord is to let us know that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to overcome these sorts of tests or these persecutions or these seductions. So he calls us to a life of prayer. And just about every time I minister or talk about temptations, and I ask those who are present to reflect on temptations they've they've succumbed to, the greater 
bulk of people will admit that those are times where they weren't in prayer. They didn't take those temptations to prayer. Um, and that tells me and that, that Jesus is correct in saying that prayer is really what brings us through temptation um, successfully and on the other side. Chris, I work with a lot of men in recovery from addiction, and uh, when it comes to temptation, uh, there's a, a lovely uh, acronym called HALT, which is a lot of times temptation uh, is you cave in when you are uh, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And it's a, it's a quick diagnostic. If you're in a situation and you feel like that you feel really tempted, is to just ask yourself the HALT question. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because you can very easily uh, fall into temptation in that situation. Yeah, I think that is absolutely, that's absolutely co- correct. And those are, if you look at those, it it seems pretty simple, right? I mean, it seems almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense yeah. that when our, when our basic needs aren't being met, then we're, we give in to perhaps our, our carnal, or we're, we're at our weakest. But those, right, were sort of what Jesus found himself in, right? He's tempted when he's fasting by the devil, right, when he's hungry. Mm-hmm. He is, he's in the desert, and he's all alone. There's times where he spent time ministering to the multitudes, and he goes away. Uh, he's tired, and he takes time to rest, and constantly Scripture is telling us to to observe the Sabbath. And of course, we find warnings in Scripture about what to do with our anger. And that tells me that this HALT acronym, which I think is great, presents things or areas that the enemy, which are perfectly natural, which are perfectly part of the human experience, but they're things that Satan will take advantage of and he will manipulate um, as as he is, because he doesn't play fair, right? No. To, <laughs> you know, it, it, he doesn't play fair, and these are things that he will manipulate to bring out to bring out the worst of. So yeah, there are things that he feeds on. He feeds on isolation. He feeds on uh, uncontrolled emotion or or visceral emotion. He feeds on lack of appetite and you know our fatigue. So we owe ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to take the necessary precautions that we can in our in our life for these things. But I also don't think these things are just completely natural. I think sleep and rest and controlling our emotions and, and feeding ourselves, I think these are spiritual things. And I mm-hmm. think that they're things that we should surround in prayer, you know, things that we should be kind to ourselves. And by that I mean be, be good stewards of our own selves and, and give ourselves to prayer. And that, that so looking at this as a spiritual thing um, because by by protecting those of our life, we keep the enemy out and um, we really set ourselves up for success and not for failure. Mm-hmm. And when, Chris, you, when I think of uh, Hebrews 4, 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way, but yet without sin, I, I think of him going out to spend time in prayer with his father. And I wondered at times, if that's some of that prayer time was spent battling some of his temptations that he experienced in this life. Cause apparently he experienced uh, all of them. Yeah. I think, I think Christ's temptations come from, I think he was tempted 
in the way that Adam was tempted. We're in, we have a sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've given into sin. Jesus right. came and hadn't. So the temptations that Jesus was facing were coming directly from Satan. They were coming directly from the, I mean, it is pretty clear in, in Matthew chapter 4 when it talks about Satan, the, the definite article is used. So it's the Satan. We know he's the enemy of mankind. And I would say that this is a very extreme, a very, I mean, it is this, we're talking the same level that Adam himself, the federal representative of mankind is undergoing. Um, and the way that Jesus battles this, the way that Jesus, is through prayer. Yeah. And that, and that, that sets a pattern for us to understand that if we who are sinful flesh, in that sense, unlike Christ, okay, and Jesus who is, came, having not sinned, uses prayer, mm-hmm. how much more do we need to actually depend on prayer when we kind of have twice the, uh, twice the ability to stand, I would yeah. say, in a sense. And on that note, Chris, question. on that yeah. note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Hey, thank pleasure. You. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.